Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, I'm Tony Elswick. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are continuing our series in the book of Psalm that started last week. And so today we are in Psalm chapter 6. So you might want to take it out. It's written on the worship folder. It'll be behind me. Also, you you can pull it up in your Bible or your pew Bible if you want to. And so Psalm chapter 6, Psalm of David, starting in verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is the word of God. Please say it with me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. So as humans, we have a bit of an emotion problem at times, and usually it falls into one of two camps. So on the one hand, we can tend to minimize our emotions, and this is something we saw a lot in Nicaragua when we were living there. So everything in Nicaragua is un poco, is just a little. So every, every upsetness, just un poco. We had a conference, and a guy was there, and he he asked me for, for a Tylenol, and he said, yeah, I have a un poco dolor in mi cabeza. I have a little headache. I said, oh, sure, yeah, no problem. He says, yeah, I was hit by a bus. <laughs> hit by a bus? Right, that's more than un poco. But even in the United States, we can do that. We get hit with a bus of problems, and we're like, un poco. A Tylenol will do. We say, it's fine, that's okay. We quote Romans 8.28, all things work together for the good, but we do it sometimes just a little too quickly. We, we don't want to accept that we've inherited a broken world, and we need time just to, to sit in that brokenness and to wrestle with it. We need to be able to enter into the death of the situation so that we can then just enter into the resurrection of it. But we, we rush past the pain, And then we lose the ability to manage the prolonged tragedies of our lives. And when that happens, and then people face those extended times of suffering, they become disillusioned, and they end up walking away from the church. We see it all the time. The Psalms help us, though, because they don't rush us to the resurrection. They get there, but they force us to take time and to sit in the pain and in the death in a faithful way. And then there are emotional maximists 
These are those who, who collapse under any emotions, right? They feel everything but hope. Sometimes it doesn't seem, no matter how small the issue is, they have huge reactions. I raised four daughters, still raising them. And one of the things that we had to tell them when they were young, we're saying like, you're facing a this size problem, but you're having a this size reaction, right? Th this size reactions are okay for this size problem, but you're having a this size problem. But for the maximalists, it doesn't matter. Every problem is a this size problem. They don't know how to, how to handle that. They hit even a small bump in the road and it's, hello darkness, my old friend. Hope is naive. And they can enter the death of the situation. They enter that fine. But they have trouble with the hope. And the Psalms help us because while they help us to own the pain of the moment, they take us eventually, appropriately, to the resurrection, to that moment of hope. And the Psalms teach us that when we are connected to Christ, we'll never be forgotten by God. So this psalm starts off and just says, it's a psalm written by David, and that's important. We shouldn't, we shouldn't rush past that, because our default thinking is that important people are different. They get all the benefits and none of the pains in life. We even have a saying to that effect, right? It's not what you know, it's what? Who you know, Right? Who you know, the connected people, they get promotions, scholarships, better deals. And that can bleed into our faith. There's an episode of The Simpsons where Homer's house catches on fire. And his neighbor, Flanders, is the, 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 the real strong Christian. And so they're talking about Homer's house being on, on fire. And somebody says it's an act of God. And then a little bit of the flame hops over to Flanders' house. And Homer says, well, it couldn't be God because... Flanders is a regular Charlie Church, and his house is on fire. And then immediately a cloud forms over Flanders' house. It rains, the fire goes out, and then a rainbow shines, right? And that's what we think. We enter into difficulty. We think, oh, well, the better people, the people closer to God, they don't have those problems. But David had problems. And I hope this doesn't offend you. But in the historical narrative of our faith, David is probably a little bit more important than you, right? I mean, he's a little bit more important than me. He's, he's one of the top four or five guys in the Bible. If there's a Mount Rushmore of the Bible, David's on it, right? But he had his ups and his downs. He goes, he defeats Goliath. He gets to marry the princess, but the king hates him, and he has to flee from the king and go into the wilderness, and he has to go on the run. Eventually, he becomes king. Everything's good, right? No, his kids are horrible. They're just the worst. They kill one another. They sexually assault one another. It's bad. It's real bad. Eventually, one of his sons usurps him and takes the throne. David has to go on the run again. But then he becomes king again, and he lives that out. But he had sorrow. He had pain. He had a lot of problems. And what we realize is that we are all both victims of the sin in the world and perpetrators of the sin in the world. 
We experience the brokenness and we participate in breaking the world further. And if David felt when he was going through those times of brokenness, if he felt forgotten and abandoned by God, we're certainly going to feel that way too. But he wasn't forgotten, and neither are you, because when we are connected to Christ, we'll never be forgotten by God. So now looks at, let's look at verses 1 through 3. It says this, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? In this section, he has two primary questions. He's saying, have you abandoned me? Have you forgotten me? That's what he's saying. How long, O Lord? He's struggling. He's having a, a difficult time. We don't know what his particular struggle is here, whether it was one of the major ones or whether it was just the, the regular struggles of life, but he's having troubles and he's struggling and he's crying out to God. Now, if you were raised in a church like me, um, you might have some trouble with some of these psalms, especially when, they, when, when they're really down and when they're really expressing frustration and anger towards God because you remember the story of the Israelites after they left Egypt. If you remember, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. Moses takes them out, and then they wander for 40 years, and they are prone to complaining and grumbling, right? They complain about water. They complain about food. Then God gives them food. Then they complain about the menu, right? There's not enough meat, so then God sends meat. They complained about the danger. They complained about the relationships or the leaderships. They complained about God's plan. They complained about everything. And what you see when they start complaining, God punishes them. And he punishes them a lot for their complaining and grumbling. And so you can look at this and be like, well, I'm having problems, but I don't want to add to my problems, right? Somehow David was able to do it in a way that was faithful and that approved by God, and they didn't. So what's the difference? Well, I think that there's two differences. The first one is that they were complaining about God. They were like talking behind God's back, even though you know, God's omnipresent and he sees everything, so it's not a great strategy. But they were complaining about God, and David is complaining to God. He's speaking directly to the Lord. So even in his doubt and in his confusion, he has faith. It's not a lot of faith at times, but Jesus says all you need is a mustard seed, which means just a really small amount of faith. And if you only have a mustard seed of faith, it means that you have a whole lot of doubt. And sometimes it feels right like that we're swimming in the swimming pool and all the water around us is the doubt. And in all the negative thoughts that we have, nothing's going to change. God can't save you. You're, you just have all this trouble. And then you have this one little floaty of hope and of faith. And that's what you're clinging to. That's your mustard seed. And that's okay. You can still be claim, claiming that little bit of mustard seed faith in praying to the Lord and taking your complaints to Him. Because as long as you're talking to Him, there's faith. So if you're the minimizer, <clears throat> you need to be reminded that things aren't 
immediately resolved. We don't, we don't live in a sitcom where, you know, all our problems get resolved in 30 minutes and it's happily ever after. Sometimes we have to face these issues head on and for extended amounts of time. And if you're a maximizer with your emotions, you need to continue to name the Lord, to remind yourself that you aren't alone, that he is still working. Even when you are overwhelmed, you can take your problems to him. If you are connected to Christ, you'll never be forgotten by God. And when it feels like you have been forgotten, you can still talk to him. And then there's a second way that David is different than the Israelites as he's complaining and talking to God. And that's what we see in the next section, verses 4 to 7. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. And Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. David is crying out to God. He's overwhelmed and he's defeated. But the second major difference is this, is that David knew that his only hope was God. The Israelites didn't just complain. They looked for other solutions. They didn't like what God was doing. They built idols. They worshiped pagan gods. They hoarded their food. They even tried to go back to Egypt one time. They were trying to fix their own problems. But listen, God will give us problems and tragedies that are too big for us to fix on our own. And our only hope is Christ. That's what David is saying here. He says, turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. This is what he's saying. He's saying, if you don't save me, I'm doomed. But David, he was a capable man. He was a strong man. He had a lot going for him. I mean, one of my favorite stories about him is in 1 Samuel 17. This is right before he faces Goliath and nobody believed in him. And he's talking to the king. And he says this, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. I mean, he was a warrior, right? Like he killed a lot of people and that was, I mean, that's tough. But he was fighting lions and bears. And these bears, they're not like the glorified raccoons that we have in Florida. Like these, I looked it up, they're like big brown bears. Like, okay, they're not grizzlies, but you don't want to fight them, Right? And the lions, I thought maybe these are like, you know, weaker lions. No, no. These are Lion King lions. These are the real deal. That's what he's facing. By way of contrast, I don't even want to fight alley cats. When I lived in Nicaragua, we had a dog there named Jack. And I was walking him one day and a, a cat bursts out from nowhere, starts riding him, jumps on top, starts riding him like a cowboy rides a horse. And in that moment, time slowed down and I thought, I'm wearing shorts. If I kick at this cat, he might latch onto my legs. Do I love the dog enough? The answer was no. 
The answer was no. That, that's how good I am. Somehow he magicked his way out of the, the, the collar and he got home. But, but in a fight with a cat, I don't want anything, right? I'm not capable like that. David's over here grabbing lions by the beard, right? When he was a teenager, he's a tough guy. He's capable. He can solve his own problems. But there were some problems too big for him. Problems he couldn't solve on his own. So he turned to God. This is what you need to hear. Again, there are problems in your life you can't solve on your own. And that's the point. Sometimes we just have to sit in the ashes and pray. Sometimes we are meant to become weary with moaning. Sometimes we are meant to flood our bed with tears and drench our couch with weeping. Sometimes we have to pause and we can't move forward because it's only then that we turn to God, the one who can actually solve our problems. Listen, you can't solve those relationship issues on your own. You'll end up becoming manipulative or abusive. You weren't meant to do it. You can't solve all your health problems on your own. You can't. Sometimes you just have to walk through the slow process and sit and pray. Listen, you may be great, but you are not more resourceful than David. He was king. He was a musician. He was close to God. He was a fighter. And if he had to wait on the Lord, you will have to wait too. You can't solve everything. There are things in your life that you aren't meant to do on your own. And if you don't believe that, you'll fall into a trap. We start forcing things on our own. We manipulate, we lie, we cheat, we steal because we want to make it happen. When you're the emotional minimalist, you feel abandoned by God. You start ignoring your problems until they get worse and worse. They will pour themselves into their work, into their relationships, video games, TV, books, whatever. Anything that helps them ignore the problem. Anything to not have to face the pain of being unable to fix the problem on their own. They'll barrel through running over whomever they have to in order to get what will solve the problem and what will help them maintain their positive attitude. But one day their efforts will fail. It will fall apart. And they will have failed to work on the internal infrastructure needed to make it through those difficult times. For the emotional maximalist, like on the other hand, will abandon prayer because they refuse to see that anything could solve their problem. And, and even it, if he could, they, they would feel like he was abandoning them anyway. Not even God could intervene on their behalf and they feel doomed. Without God, then they will turn to whatever it takes. They'll manipulate their family and friends. They will live angry that nobody is, is helping them. They'll reach for anything. I've literally seen people in America turn to magic to solve their health problems. In America, they'll fall apart, go dark, get angry at God for abandoning them. They have failed to learn that with every death, literal and figurative, there is a resurrection. You aren't abandoned. If you are connected to Christ, you will never be forgotten by God. 
And even when it feels like you have been forgotten, you can still talk to him because he hasn't forgotten you. You can rely on him as your only hope. And that's what gives you the power to sit and to wait. Earlier, we talked about the saying that says it's not what you know, it's who you know when it comes to suffering, but that's only partially true. You do know the one who can solve the problems. You can't, but he can. So sitting in sorrow and praying to God isn't wasted effort. It's the most efficient thing you can do with your time because he will be working. But there'll be long days, there'll be dark nights, harsh winters, dry summers, and even in those moments, you aren't forgotten. Because if you are connected to Christ, you'll never be forgotten by God. And then something happens in the passage between verses 7 and verse 8. Let's look at it. He says, Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So what happened? Did God solve David's problems? Maybe, but, but I don't think so. I, I don't think that's the way that the text reads. This is what it says. It says, the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord has accepts my prayer. It's, it's future. He's talking about the future. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be, be put to shame in a moment. It's all future. It hasn't happened yet. The only thing that has happened is that David's faith has been rekindled. And he's starting to trust in the Lord. This is what we see in Philippians chapter 4 when it says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So do you see what happens? When you turn to God in prayer, His Holy Spirit will start to work in your heart. Jesus calls him the comforter for a reason because in those times he works to comfort us. But he's the comforter. He's not McDonald's. And so sometimes it takes time. Let's be honest. Sometimes we neglect prayer until we face those things that are too big for us. And there have been times where I didn't pray much until I tried to balance my budget. Then I started praying a lot. Or I had a problem with with ministry or family problem, whatever it is. Big problems will often push us to prayer. And what I learned uh, in those prayers, in those moments, is about the abiding presence of God's Spirit and His love for me. I I learned that there is a peace and a joy that can carry me through even when the difficult situations remain. Even in difficulty, our relationship with the Lord can become so so vibrant and the peace of God so real and powerful that we become thankful for the problems in our lives because they cause us to turn to Him. Are you going through a difficult moment right now? Do you feel like you are forgotten? Listen to the resurrection proclamation here. 
The Lord has heard the sound of your weeping. The Lord has heard your plea. The Lord accepts your prayers. If you are connected to Christ, you will never be forgotten by God. Isn't that good news? But of course, that means that you do need to be connected to Christ. And we have a problem of sin. We are all victims of sin, but we're also perpetrators of sin. And we all have added to the misery of this world. And because God is a good judge, he has to punish it. This is why the psalmist starts off saying, do not punish me, right? Why? Because he knows that he's due punishment. He has sin. That's justice for him to get that punishment. And sometimes we walk around with this nagging sense of guilt and condemnation. We know, we know that that God would be right to punish us because we know we have broken God's law. But we try to solve the problem on our own. We don't want to We don't want to go to God's way. So we try to to do enough good deeds to pay for our bad deeds. We try to create our own moral code and try to live up to that. But remember, there are problems in your life that you can't fix. And the biggest one of those problems is sin. You cannot overcome that on your own. But God, because of his love, sent Jesus be born as a human, fully God, fully man, to live perfect life, to die for you on the cross, taking your sins on him, taking the punishment that you were due so that you don't have to face the anger of God. And he died and he rose again and he ascended to heaven. And now he invites us to turn to him, to repent from our sins and to put our faith in him. And if you've never done that, in a minute we're going to sing. I hope that you would just... Call out to God, pray to Him, ask Him to forgive you of His sins. But for those of us who are believers, do you know what Jesus is doing right now? It says that He's interceding for you. Within the complexity of the Trinity, Jesus is praying for you. It's complicated. We can't understand it, but we can trust it. That if we are connected to Christ... We will never be forgotten by God because Jesus is praying for you. So if you are a believer, I would encourage you to make the Psalms your own and to take time to pray through them. If you're an emotional minimalist, go off by yourself somewhere and open up your emotions just to just a 5%. We don't have to go all the way at first, right? Just open up 5%. Read a verse or two of the Psalms at a time. Go through Psalm 6. Read the first few verses. Then say a prayer based on the theme that you read for something that is causing you distress in your own life. Sit in the darkness and then wait and come up through the resurrection at the end. But take time to sit in there faithfully. Start building that infrastructure so that you could withstand the, the... the long-term tragedies that you'll face in your life. If you're an emotional maximalist, if everything is the worst, then go off by yourself and find a this-sized problem, right? Because you're going to have a this-sized reaction. So you've got to find like a real small one so that you can handle the reaction that you're going to get. And you go through the psalm, but you make sure to finish it. You get through to the end. 
You get through to the resurrection. And you spend more time on the resurrection than you did on the problem. And my prayer for you is this. That for each of you, as you take your problems to God, that His Holy Spirit will fill you with the peace that passes understanding. If you are connected to Christ, you will never be forgotten by God. Let's pray. Father, what are we that you would care about us? What are we that you would have died for us? That you would spend your time praying for us? We are we're not great, but you're great. And your love is overwhelming. Help us to trust in your love. Help us to trust in your death and resurrection, the forgiveness we have for our sins. Help us to feel that connection to you and to live with the peace and hope, knowing that even in the darkest times, even when we feel the most forgotten, that you are busy praying for us, thinking about us, and caring for us. And help that hope turn our hearts to praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. When you are connected to Christ, you'll never be forgotten by God because through Christ, you are his beloved child. The promise of the benediction is that when God thinks about you, it's with a smile on his face and joy in his heart. Adopted children of God, receive your benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.